Well, as you've heard at least a number of times today, we're in the second week of Advent. And last week we talked about the theme of hope. And this week, the second week of Advent, we're talking about this thing called peace. And um, I really uh, love what uh, Brad and Renee did with the Advent candle and especially the, the video at the beginning of the service that really explains this whole idea of peace. I'm going to attack it a little bit differently this morning. When it comes to peace, we usually think or navigate peace in, in two different ways, you know, and this is pretty rudimentary, and, and you all know this, but when we talk about peace, we talk about peace in two different ways. We're, we either talk about peace as an external thing, or we talk about peace as an internal thing. You know, external thing in, in the sense of, you know, what war is happening, what, you know, what, what conflicts are going on, what kind, of, what kind of things are happening in our neighborhoods, what kind of things are happening in our relationships that, that cause us not to feel a sense of peace. And, and we're looking at these external things that happen in our world, that happen in our culture, that kind of make us uneasy, that kind of make us like, you know, things are just not right. I can't, I can't feel settled. I can't feel comfortable. I can't feel safe because of the environment that we are in. And that's, that's, that's how many of us treat this whole topic of peace. But the second way that we navigate this thing called peace is, you know, what's happening inside of us, the internal components of peace. And here's, here's the rub. You, you all know this instinctively, that if we don't have a deep sense of peace inside of us, then nothing outside will ever be right. Nothing will ever feel right. We, that, that sense of internal peace is probably the more difficult peace. And I would argue that we will never have external peace. We'll never have the kind of peace that we would long for in our world, and our culture. All of those kinds of things will never happen if human beings don't ever have a deep sense of internal peace. That just ain't going to happen. You know, um, we all experience what I call peace killers. Um, we, we can't seem to find a sense of peace of mind. We don't, we don't have that. Or our internal anxieties go into overdrive, and it sabotages our own sense of peace. You know, we struggle with internal anxieties to such a degree that nothing on the outside satisfies what is happening inside of us. And our minds and our inner dialogue go to places that just destroy any sense of inner peace that we could possibly have. The, the dialogue that focuses on, you know, the times I was a victim or the times I was mistreated or the times... And, and now, because of those situations in your life, that's how you identify with yourself. That's always the inner dialogue that is happening inside of you. And you devalue yourself. And there's never a sense in which you have the calmness and assurity that God intends for you to have inside of yourself. Problems, difficulties, fears, worries, hurt feelings, all of those increase the mental restlessness that we can have inside of us that gives us this lack of inner peace. How many of you have ever heard the five top regrets of people in the last days of their lives? Have you ever heard this list? 
here are the top five regrets of people who are, who are dying. And uh, the first one is this. I wish I had the courage to live a, true, a life true to myself, not the life expected by others of me. That's, that's the number one. The second one is, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. <laughs> How many, I, I see a number of you nodding your heads. You kind of get that. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Number three, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I had the current courage to just say what I was feeling in the moment to the people that I should have said it to. You know, how many times have you heard, I wish I had said, I love you? When I know it would have made all the difference in the world, just saying those three simple words. Here's the next one, number four. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And number five, I wish I had let myself be happier. Be happier. Those top five regrets. Imagine in the last days of your life having one of those regrets and how it must, you know, hurt your inner peace in the last days of your life to live with regrets like that. How, how difficult it would be. But we all wrestle with some kind of inner peace killer in our lives. Now, for the biblical writers... You know, whether it's external peace or internal peace, I would argue that the majority of times, the biblical writers are talking about this internal peace, this inner peace, how to get it, where to find it, the difference it would make, not only to, the, you know, to us when we gain this peace, but the difference it would make in the world around us. And the way that we would manage our lives, the way we would treat other people, the way we would see the world and just the importance of what it means to have this inner peace. And the biblical writers recognized that that is an essential truth, that without the internal peace, no matter what kind of, of you know, work or laws or, or you know, things that we try to implement to keep people from hurting others, it isn't going to happen until we all have this sense of internal peace that allows us to treat others or to work in the world in a way that encourages true peace among other people and ourselves. Now, uh, we're going to look at this, I think, a, a beautiful, beautiful story in the New Testament about Mary and Joseph going to the temple after the 40 days of purification, because in, that, in those days, you took a child to be circumcised after eight days to the temple, and then 40 days after the purification ritual, the family would go back, and they would, they would do another sacrifice at the temple, and this is the, the, the point that we are at in this particular story. And we're told just before this that, that um, what Mary and Joseph took to the temple to sacrifice was a poor person's, a poor family's offering. So they weren't wealthy in any way, shape, or form. So here they are at the temple. And I'm going to begin reading at Luke 2, verses 25 and onward to 28, and make a few comments. So 
here we are in, in Luke 2, and it reads this. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, okay? Um, otherwise known as Simon. That's another name that we could use for this person. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. So we're introduced to this elderly man by the name of Simeon or Simon. And um, we are told this godly man is awaiting, and it was told by the Spirit of God to await the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the one that had been prophesied for centuries by the, by the Old Testament, the prophets. Even, even the law talked about the, the prophetic coming of this messianic figure. Now, it says that, you know, he recognized that the Messiah would come to rescue Israel. And in older translation, I think it says the consolation of Israel. And it comes out of Isaiah 40. And out of Isaiah 40, Isaiah writes about God rescuing the nation of Israel out of very difficult years of exile and to comfort the nation and to rescue them and to bring salvation and to bring forgiveness and to bring peace. That that's what this consolation, that that's what this rescuing means. It doesn't mean... You know, it, it doesn't mean this physical external rescue like you're drowning or something. God's going to pull you out of the water. It's, it's, it's a deep inner peace of forgiveness, of a reconciliation with God to bring people back into that relationship that has been distorted, that has separated us from God, that brings real true peace because of you know, this, this chasm that exists between humanity and for God. And we, said, and we said last week, if you were here last week, we talked about hope, and we said hope is where we go when there's nowhere else to go. Now, I want you to think about the life of Simeon for a minute, okay? He, he's elderly. He has um, experienced everything that the nation of Israel has experienced. Rome is in charge, and Rome you know, is governing the nation of Israel at this time. We don't know much about his personal life, whatever his personal life is, is, is like. But Simon puts his hope in God. And remember we said hope is where we go when there's nowhere else to go. But what we hope in is vitally important. In fact, it makes all the difference in the world. And for Simon, for Simeon, his hope was in God, in the prophetic promises of God, in what the Spirit had revealed to him. That, you know, even though all of his external, you know, experiences and, and the land that he was living in and the people he was related to and the temple services that he was doing, even though everything outside was all the same, he put his hope in God. Even though somebody could have easily come up to him and said, you know, why do you hope in God anyway? What's, what, what's the matter with you? God's been silent for 400 years. God hasn't done any, anything to the nation. You guys are now into bondage to the Romans. Why are you trusting God? Why do you continue to hope in God? 
Why are you doing that? Somebody could have easily said that. But for Simeon, there was no other place to, to put his hope other than in the promises of God. All the externals of his life had not changed. But here's what the next part of the statement tells us. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, let your servant die in peace. I am now suddenly whole. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation in which you have prepared for all people. He is the light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Here's Simeon ready to meet death because now he has peace. And you know what? What has changed in his life right now? There's only one thing that has functionally changed in his life. He's met Jesus. That is the only thing that has changed in this story. Rome is still the world power, still controls the land of Israel. Political landscape hasn't changed. There's still, you know, politicians who are vying for power and authority and navigating, you know, the political landscape. Life continues to be a day-to-day -day struggle for survival as it was in ancient times. Did Simeon suddenly become financially better? Did, did, did he suddenly become physically 20 years younger? Only one thing changed in his life. And only one thing that now he could say, I can die in peace. Only one thing. Because peace for Simeon was only one person away. And that's the heart of peace. That's the heart of biblical peace. The biblical peace is only one person away. See, when he met Jesus, he knew the promises of God are now being realized. He realized the hope of Israel was now coming to fruition. He realized that the things that had separated us from God was now going to be a thing of the past, that there was a way to be forgiven once and for all because of Jesus, that this reconciliation between God and man was now going to be finalized, this incredible gift of a child born to this young couple was going to be the savior, not just of the nation Israel. If you read the text carefully, he realizes that this is for all people, for you, for me. Because what is true for Simeon is true for us as well. That true peace is only one person away. Now that might sound a bit simplistic, a bit, oh, come on. But the reality is, is when we acknowledge Jesus and we come to terms with what he came to bring us, 
what he came to do and make us a new creation by forgiving us, by giving us the hope of eternity, by giving us all, you know, the promises of Scripture that the Holy Spirit will now indwell us and we will live as people of the cross, people of the way, and we will be agents of God's redemptive story to those that we come in contact with each and every day. And even though we get caught up in the world that is struggling to find peace in itself, that we have found at least the key to that internal peace that solves all the other anguishes that we struggle with. Because as I said, what was true for Simeon is true for us as well. That peace is only one person away. And that person is Jesus Christ. That we can have shalom, that we can have adenia, that beautiful peace that both in the Greek and Hebrew means a peace that brings us whole, that makes us one again. And not only that, but you'll notice in the video they were talking about we have that internal peace and we are now whole and one person again, not, with, you know, not feeling the divisions that our internal self can sometimes find. But not only that, but we work to bring peace into other people's lives as well. But that's the beautiful thing about Ananiya and Shalom, that we live as people of peace. Now, I want to say Merry Christmas. And may the hope and the peace of Jesus be yours this Christmas season. Because peace is only one person away. Well, it's communion time, and we're going to enter into communion, and I want to segue at this point. If you don't have your communion cup, I want you to take a moment to pick it up. Now, communion here at Village Green is this time that we come together, and we celebrate what's called an open communion here at Village Green. And what we mean by that is that if you have made a profession of faith in Jesus, you are welcome to take communion with us. That, that is the only requirement that we have for you here, is to say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. So I want to invite you to do that. And secondly, I want to once again remind us that we haven't done this in a long time, just because of the, the situation with COVID and everything. But when we used to do communion and we would, we would uh, you know, give it out to everybody, we would also take up an offering, a benevolent offering. And we just want to remind you that this is still an important component of our church. Um, I want to thank the many of you who give to our benevolent fund. I, I, I wish I could list for you the number of people, the number of individuals, the number of, 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 of Christian organizations that we've been able to contribute towards and to help because of your generosity. Uh, 
Um, I've, I've been really struck by the, the generosity, especially in our benevolent fund, even though we have you know, had this restriction of COVID that many of you have said, that doesn't mean that we can't continue to help other people. And I really just celebrate that we've been able to do that. So um, thank you and God bless you for the way that you've continued to contribute to our benevolent fund and allowed us as a church to help many, many people. That's been a real blessing. So um, we, open, we have an open communion, a uh, reminder of benevolent, but as we, as we get into communion and as we're reminded of the night that Jesus was with his disciples celebrating the Passover meal, that he spoke many times into the lives of his disciples, the whole concept of peace. And for the disciples, the whole idea of peace for them originally must have centered around, you know, you're going to take the, you know, Rome off our, off our backs. We're not, no longer going to have them, you know, sort of dictating to us that you're going to liberate us and give us our, our country back and all that kind of stuff. But as we talked about earlier, Jesus realized that there was a much greater need when it came to peace. And that was the sacrifice of himself for the sins of the world. Because peace is only one person away. So that night, recognizing the deep need for the world around us, Jesus took the bread so if you have your wafer, he took that bread and he said to the disciples at the time, this is my body, which would have signaled to the disciples the terminology of sacrifice. That to give his body meant an element of sacrifice that would have been very profound to them at the time because Passover is all about sacrificing an animal, a perfect animal, so that we can have forgiveness of our sin. But Jesus took that bread that night and he says, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. But Jesus didn't end there. As the Passover meal progressed, and as it recounted the story of the Exodus, Jesus was rewriting a new story for all of us. That his broken body also meant to shed blood. And that blood, as Jesus took the third cup of the Passover meal and the cup of redemption, and he said some pretty startling things in the midst of all of that. He said, this cup re represents the covenant in my blood. A covenant as prophesied in the book of Jeremiah about a new heart and a new relationship with God. 
And Jesus is now identifying himself with the prophecies of the Old Testament to the realization of the moment. And he took that cup and he said, drink this in remembrance of me. Jesus' entire ministry is framed by the promise of peace. Because if there's one thing that Jesus knew, if there's one thing that God knows of us, internal peace is what we need more than anything else. The internal peace of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of being redeemed no longer having our sins count against us when it comes to a holy and righteous Father. And Jesus came to bring us what nobody else could do for us, the promise of peace and the promise of hope and the beautiful redemption that we who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ get to celebrate. Why? Because peace is what? Come on, guys. Come on, guys. Amen. Amen. I heard it in my earphones from all the live stream people, but not from you. That's really bad. That's really bad. Thanks, thanks, everyone. Okay, roger that. Okay. All right. So, before I invite the worship team to come back up, can I pray a prayer of peace over you? Father in heaven, thank you that peace is indeed only one person away. In the person of your son, Jesus Christ, who came willingly as a babe in a manger to give us this beautiful picture of peace as described in the Bible. And Lord, sometimes we treat peace as an external and indeed, we, we would love to see peace in those external things of our lives. But God, we know that the more difficult place to find peace is often inside of ourselves. Lord, thank you for reshaping our souls. Thank you for renewing our minds. Thank you for making us new creations through faith and allowing us to have the deep-seated peace, that shalom, that edania, that the Bible talks about. Lord, I pray this morning that if there's any here that does not have that sense of peace, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would touch their lives and allow them to experience, even if it's for a moment, what it can be when the peace of God floods our hearts. May Jesus be real to somebody today and may they experience the peace that passes understanding as the Apostle Paul tells us so that they can live their lives with the peace of God. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week when we talk about joy. God bless you.